Today's episode is being brought to you by The Feed. The Feed is an online resource. Uh, You've heard me talk about it before. It's a place where I get all kinds of stuff for fueling for workouts, hydration, protein, basically anything you could want. Ketones, which we talk about today in the episode. Uh, They've got all kinds of nutritional uh, resources, and they've been a great sponsor of the podcast in the past. Today, is actually a bit of a topical sponsorship that just kind of came together organically. We were planning on doing this episode on med kits and what you should carry in it. And it occurred to me that the feed not only carries nutritional products, but they have a number of other things, including medical kits. And this is one of the newer things they have. Not only do they carry medical kits, but they have started carrying products from my medic, which is the same kit that I carry to the Tour de France is the same kit that I carry in the back of my car. Um, So it's a great resource when you listen to this podcast and hear what you might want to have in a kit. Uh, It's a great resource to know where to go to purchase that. Again, very, very organic that this came together that way um, with a company that I think uh, it's well established that I I know and like and use myself. Um, So Thanks to the feed for sponsoring and go check out the various options they have for my medic uh, med kits. I know uh, Phil Guyman talks about it in one of his books where there was a tour that I guess he used all of your burn netting from a medical kit. Yeah, I think we were in Argentina, if I remember correctly. And he went down on a turn coming into town where the finish was. It was a left-hand turn, if I remember correctly, with a, like a, a median or an island in the middle. And he went down and just looked like a cheese grater taken to him. And we, I mean, it, it took a while to bandage him. And by, by the second or third day, we had exhausted all of my gauze and everything. And this was in a huge bag. Hi, everyone. This is The Podium, and I'm Dr. Kevin Sprouse. Our podcast originated as a resource for my practice, where I work with professional athletes and high-performing individuals from around the world. Today, it has become a forum for an even greater audience, and we welcome everyone as we discuss the principles of performance and then disseminate pertinent, actionable info with our patients in mind. One thing to note before we begin, the content of this podcast is not meant as medical advice. This is for general informational purposes only. Welcome to the podium. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Podium. I am Patrick Morris, and I'm here today with Dr. Kevin Sprouse. Yeah, we're talking about uh, prepping Right? Is that is that what it is when the when the end is coming? Yeah, we've all become big preppers here at Podium. Yeah, for sure. No, no, we're gonna we're gonna dig into a question that um, that I get asked a lot, and um, yeah, I'd say it's one of the more common things that comes my way. Such that I've got a, a spreadsheet that I send to people fairly regularly just to answer the question of what's in my med kit and what do I travel with when I'm with the cycling team? What do I travel with? Uh, you know, when I'm on my own, what do I travel with? When our patients go abroad, what do we recommend they take? So we just thought we'd take today and, and dig into the the inventory list of those kits and talk about the the rationale behind them as well and uh, hopefully be a good resource to folks regardless of what it is you do. Yeah. And for those of us that aren't physicians, we usually call them our first aid kits. Mm. Yeah, true, true. So before we get started, I have to have a small story about first aid kits. Cause this was just hilarious as a, as a five-year-old. So my sister had been diagnosed with diabetes and we're going to the hospital. I trip and fall and scrape my knee up 
And I look at my uncle and I'm just like, where's your first aid kit? He loves telling this story. And he just looks back at me like we're everybody's flustered running around. And he's just like, I don't have one. And I just look him like dead in the eye as a five-year-old and say, a good boy scout always has his first aid kit. <laughs> so being that I'm an Eagle scout, this topic really rings true of always being prepared and not quite being a prepper, but always having kind of more when I go on trips with people as being the guy who brings somewhat of a first aid kit. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. And I mean, I, I also fall in that category of always being the guy that has a kit in the back of my car. That's got everything from, you know, band-aids to stitches to whatever, and have had to use it a few times. Um, interestingly, when I've needed it for my kids, it seems like we're always in my wife's car and we haven't had it. So now I've, of course, created a duplicate kit and we have one in both cars, but we'll talk about what's, what's kept in that too. Yeah. So um, that's like a, a great place to start is kind of the car first aid kit or the car med kit. That's somewhere that I think a lot of us typically have something, whether it's what came with the car that has been sitting in there in your spare tire. Well, that yeah. you forget about that has a bunch of dried out alcohol swabs, but what do you put, you put together kind of in your like travel car based uh, med kits? Yeah. So, um, I don't think this has to be a huge one. A lot of people end up with, uh, they either don't have enough, you know, they have nothing or something really minimal or they have like an ICU in the back of their car. And really what you're typically looking for is something that's going to handle, uh, not life-threatening emergencies, but things that, uh, will either need to be cleaned up and taken care of in the interim before you get home and do it appropriately or get to the hospital and have them close it appropriately. Um, so it, in other words, it doesn't have to be perfect. And even, even in my kit, that's kind of the, the, the rationale I take. So I've got a small, uh, bag in both of my cars. They're actually made by a company called my medic. Um, I just get the bags empty. So if you look at my medic, uh, which you can purchase on the feed, which is one of our, our, our sponsors in the past um, or has been a sponsor of the show and a company that I'm involved with. You can, you can find my medic on there. You can find it on my medics website. They're fully stocked kits, but I want to be real clear. Mine is just the bag. I love the bags. And then I stock it cause I can just go to our closet here and stock it. So I'll tell you what I keep in mind. It's a, it's a mini kit that is probably, I don't know, four or five inches by four or five inches. So it's a, it's a soft sided bag that unfolds. And in there, the first thing I have is trauma shears. So these are basically scissors like bandage scissors. Um, but they're really useful for all kinds of things. Proper trauma shears will cut through a penny with very minimal effort. Like you can just, uh, they're, they're good for all sorts of things. Uh, EMTs and paramedics carry them to cut through seat belts and things like that. And you got to be able to do it real quick. Um, but they're great for bandages. They're great for anything you might find yourself needing to cut, cut off a, a kit that you don't want to pull over a, a, a wounded leg, whatever. So a good pair of trauma shears don't skip skimp highly recommended. We'll come back to skin closure in a minute, stitches and dermabond. Um, syringes. So this is one, I, I think having a good syringe, which sounds really like nefarious, right? Ha but having a good syringe in your med kit is huge for irrigation. So it doesn't need to have a needle or anything like that, but a good. So when he says irrigation, we're talking about cleaning out 
yes. wounds and things like that. So you, you fall, you get some gravel in a scrape, you use the large syringe and then you're, you're flushing out and cleaning out that gravel, right? Exactly. Thank you for the translation. So a, a good like 10 milliliter, you can also get 30 milliliters, but those are really big. So a good, a good 10 milliliter syringe will allow you to put some water in there, spray it in a way that has a little bit of a pressure and you can direct it and just clean out a, an open wound or, you know, a, a big abrasion, something like that. Um, you don't need to use sterile water. Uh, the, the wounds already dirty. So just clean water, right? Bottled water, tap water, whatever. Don't use standing water from a pond or something, but otherwise, you know, just a little bit of pressure can go a long way toward getting something cleaned out quickly. So I've always got a syringe in there. Always have gloves, you know, nitrile exam gloves in the car. I may have six or eight pair cause you're going to want to take them on and off. Um, uh, you may have, uh, you may have more than one person you're dealing with. I was going to say patient, but more than one person who's injured. Uh, or it might just be that you use two for something and you don't want to have to worry about restocking it. Uh, something you may take on the bike, you're going to pair all this down, but in the car I have six, eight, 10 pair. It's uh, it's no big deal for wound management and kind of bandaging. Once you've gotten it cleaned out, you want to have something to put on the wound, which typically uh, what I like is a, a nonstick gauze. So Telfa is the, the brand name and usually four inches by four inches. So in medicine, we call them four by fours. So a Telfa four by four, a little bit of Neosporin on it. So you've got a tube of Neosporin in there and then cover it with either some sort of tape or netting. Um, and we'll talk about each of those. So the tape that you might use would be my favorite is OmniFix. It's a porous, stretchy surgical tape that you can just cut to the size that you want with those trauma shears that you have in there. Um, and then just kind of stretch it right on top of the, the Telfa and holds it right in place. And if it's on a knee or an elbow or a shoulder, which it typically is when you fall, you, you often hit a joint. So that's mobile, a mobile part of the body. If you can put a stretchy tape on it, it just makes it a little more tolerable. So Telfa, Neosporin, OmniFix after having cleaned it out. And usually you're good to go, assuming it doesn't need stitches or anything like that. Yeah. I love using the the OmniFix that we have in office to make just a big band aid that's kind of custom sized to what you need. And, uh, it, it seems to really help versus trying to wrap tape around it. So there's, there's lots of different tapes out there. So the OmniFix is going to be closer to like a paper tape or like a non adhesive, or is that going to be a completely different thing? So it, it, it is adhesive The it's sticky and it goes on, uh, sticks to the skin, but you can get something like Coban, which I definitely recommend, uh, having in there as well. Coban is a tape that feels kind of rubbery and it sticks to itself, but not to the skin. So it can be a really nice thing to use, uh, either for some compression. So probably if you've ever had a blood draw, they put like a, a blue or a green, um, Coban strip over the gauze in your arm and they pull it kind of tight to give some compression. Uh, but you can use that just like a, a tape that you would use anywhere else, assuming you put it circumferentially. So all the way around, right? You can't put it part of the way cause it won't stick to anything. It's got to stick to itself, but it can be a really useful tool um, for anything that's got to go all the way around. So holding on a large bandage, um, holding pressure over something, uh, holding two fingers together. So if you're buddy taping them, you know, you've injured one and you're going to tape it to the one next to it to, uh, 
provide a little support, Cobain can be great because it doesn't make them sticky. It just kind of holds them together. Um, so that's a great one. Cloth tape uh, or uh, like an athletic tape is good to have in there. That can be, there's different types of that. It's not really important which one you have. But the point is, if you need to, say, tape an ankle or a wrist or something like that, um, this can be really good to have. So you've seen like athletic trainer tape. This would probably less be a first aid thing and more like you get to the trailhead to go mountain biking and you've had a sore wrist. Maybe it's the third day in a row. Maybe you fell on it. Maybe it sprained a little bit and you just want a little bit of support. Having some tape like this to just be able to throw on there real quickly can be great. And a nice thing to do is to put first either some Coban, right? So it's not going to stick to the skin um, or cling gauze, which is uh, the, those rolls of gauze that sticks to itself, that clings to itself. Do that first and then put the athletic tape over it. Um, and then when you go to take it off, you're not pulling off arm hair and skin and everything else. It just comes off pretty easily. Yeah, you'll see the uh, you'll see the pre tape right next to like the athletic training tape yep. if you're buying it from a, a sporting goods store or something like that. And usually in the in the med stores as well. But on the on the note of tape, do you have any insider secrets on making it hurt less when you remove the tape? Rip it fast. Yeah, there's no there's no secrets. It's the worst part. I mean, even even when you go to get like an EKG done or something like that, the 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 insult from just removing adhesive things is I think poorly understood by the medical community. It's, it's awful, but just rip it fast. Yeah. Like a bandaid. Yeah. Or in the shower, honestly. I mean, a lot of times what we'll do with the, the pro riders, um, is just have them both clean a wound in the shower. If, you know, if you have access to it, don't, don't delay cleaning, but if you can hop in the shower and clean it, um, that's great. Uh, but removing bandages, and if we're going to change them out, kind of put fresh ones on, take them off in the shower. You're going to want to scrub it anyway, um, like clean things up underneath there. So that can help a little bit. Yeah. So past tape, I think that's as far as we got for the car. What else do we have on our, on our sheet here? So um, I also like to make sure that we have uh, some moleskin, just a small sheet of moleskin, which can be great for uh, blisters and things like that. Hot spots in your shoe. Uh, and when I say small, I mean, really small. The idea is that you've got enough to handle kind of one situation of whatever might arise and then you restock it. So even though the list of things in this, in this med kit might be long, it's a little bit of each just so you can handle each situation. Uh, and assorted sizes of band-aids are great in there. Um, and then the burn netting. So burn netting, if you've ever watched a cycling race on TV, a road race, and you've seen the guy who fell the day before, uh, you'll typically see that he's all bandaged up. And then there's this like white net that runs the length of the, the limb, whether that's his leg, his arm, whatever. And this stuff is, I mean, it's indispensable. I love having it around because what you can do is totally forego the tape a lot of times or reinforce the tape with it. Uh, but it's a, it's a cylindrical, um, gauze netting that when you pull it apart and run your arm through it, like a sleeve kind of spreads out and gives a little bit of compression, holds things in place, allows you to move. So if it's on say the side of an elbow, what I'll typically do is put a little bit of neosporin 
put that Telfa, that nonstick bandage. And then if I can get away with no tape, just put one of these burn nets on top of it. And then as the athlete's moving their arm through the day, nothing is pulling, right? There's no, there's no end range of motion because the tape is pulling. There's no pulling on hair. Uh, it's just a really comfortable way to be bandaged. Uh, my oldest son, when he was about five or six, had one of many bike crashes and just insisted on burn netting. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't have anything else. I think went to school with his arm and you know one of these looking like a, a wounded Tour de France rider. Um, it's just a really comfortable way to do it. All this stuff that we're talking about is available on Amazon. I mean, you don't need uh, a prescription for any of it. It's just you go online and buy it. So the burn netting comes in different sizes, uh, one through I think ten. Um, and some of the bigger ones are for the trunk. Like you'd put it almost wear it like a shirt and you don't need that for your med kit. What you're looking for probably is size three or four for the arm. If you've got bigger legs, you might be looking for a five, but usually you can stretch these things out. And I keep in my car, uh, just a roll of size three, which again, a roll because it's so, it expands so much. This is a small little piece of gauze. Um, but I could, with what I have in the bag, in the car, I could probably do, I could at least do a leg and an arm. I could probably do all four limbs. Uh, so it's, it's great stuff to have around and you'll get enough for, I don't know, for 10 bucks. You'll get enough that you could last years. Like it's, it's, it, you get plenty. Yeah. Hopefully you'll last years. I know, yeah. uh, Phil Guyman talks about it in one of his books where there was a tour that I guess he used all of your burn netting from the medical kit. Yeah. I think we were in Argentina if I remember correctly. And he went down on a turn coming into town where the finish was. It was a left-hand turn, if I remember correctly, with a like a, a median or an island in the middle. And he went down and just looked like a cheese grater had taken to him. And we, I mean, it, it took a while to bandage him. And by by the second or third day, we had exhausted all of my gauze and everything. And this was in a huge bag. When, when I go to... Um, when I go to countries like Argentina, where I don't know how accessible supplies will be, I take a lot and he went through it really quickly. So yeah, hopefully nobody's facing that kind of uh, trauma. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing to bring up when you're, you're going to countries where like, maybe you don't know where things are, or you're going to be in a very remote place. Like last weekend we were in Utah and the road was actually closed. So Mm. If something had happened, we wouldn't have been able to get anywhere. So like considering that sort of a thing when you're going into your travel or taking note of where you live, are you somewhere that you're driving to Tahoe and the pass might get closed and there's a few extra things to think about to put in that car kit? That's a, that's a really important thing to consider. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's where you have to consider medications as well. Um, and I do keep some medications in the car, uh, all over the counter stuff, but I, I keep uh, like a chewable antacid, a Maalox tablet, right? Because it's not the end of the world if you get a little heartburn or whatever, but you don't want it to ruin your your, your trip out on the trail. Um, so it's worth having around. Uh, and antihistamine is huge to have. I typically carry two. I'll carry Benadryl in case it's a like an allergic reaction. Um Sure, if it's anaphylaxis or something really bad, like you're with somebody who's allergic to a bee, you want to have that. But more, uh, if if you're having an allergic reaction to a plant or something like that, that your skin's 
you know, erupting in a rash. It's nice to have something like Benadryl. It's nice and strong. Uh, and then I also carry usually a Claritin or Zyrtec or something like that. Uh, for the same reason, you get out there, allergies are bad. You don't want to turn around. You want to be able to treat it. So those are always with me. Uh, ibuprofen or Tylenol, right? Just to have something for the pain. And again, we're talking about a dose or two, right? Just so that you don't have to drive back into town or cancel the the ride or whatever it is. Like you just want to have it there. Uh, Imodium for the same reason. Uh, Imodium for diarrhea is something you always want to have on hand, hopefully never need to use, but it's a, it's a, a great thing. It works well. It works quick. Um, we talked about Neosporin, uh, eye drops always have like Visine eye drops because if you get dirt in the eye or whatever, I mean that, that can, it can ruin a trip. Uh, and you can salvage that if you're able to just you know, go to the back of the car, pop it open, flush it out with some Visine, you're good to go. Uh, so little things like that, that honestly, these lists that we're going to go through, um, it's not like it's just common knowledge that these things are out there. A lot of these stem from me being somewhere in a situation and saying, God, I wish I had Visine, right? Whatever it is. And making sure it goes on this list so that I have it next time. Uh, the other one is Afrin. So like a, a nasal spray that just opens things up. Because again, maybe you drive somewhere to uh, to go mountain biking or trail running or whatever. Um, maybe it's a couple days. You know, you're going up to the mountains and you get up there and the allergens are totally different or you're staying in an Airbnb where the last person or the owner has cats, right? And you're allergic to cats. And the last thing you want is for that to ruin everything. And if you've got a quick fix like Afrin that just opens everything up, you can't use it every day. You don't want to use it every day. But um, if you've got it kind of in your back pocket, then it's a great way to salvage your trip. Yeah. I've benefited firsthand from being on a work trip and happening to be with someone who has a full size med kit in their car and then needing some Claritin. And instead of having to you know run out to Walgreens, it was just like, okay, cool. For these two days, there's two, two little pieces of uh, a Claritin to kind of knock out those allergies. And it was great. Yeah. Uh, the only things I would recommend from a, from a prescription standpoint, uh, would be an EpiPen. If you're somebody who has bad allergies to whatever, uh, bee stings, nuts, whatever. Um, you should have those anyway. And it's a great place to keep it is in your med kit in the car. Uh, or if you have a family member or whatever. Uh, and the other is a, a spare inhaler if you're an asthmatic. So having a, a rescue inhaler, an albuterol inhaler in your med kit um, for you or a family member is well worth it. Of course, if you don't have either of those diagno- diagnoses or suffer from either of those, those don't need to be on your list. You don't need to go to your doctor and ask for a prescription for, for these things. Um, but if you do, make sure they're in there. The last thing that uh, is in my kit that probably can't be in everyone else's is Dermabond or skin glue uh, and some stitches. Um, interestingly, in the back of my car, I don't carry any lidocaine. So if I'm stitching you up trailside uh, out of the back of my car, it's going to be Grin and bear it. Um, but you know, it's, it's, and the reason I do that is because I'm not sure that the lidocaine would be very effective sitting in temperature, extreme temperature swings, you know, for months at a time. Um, so I just don't bother with it. Uh, but 
of those, having something to close a gaping wound can be helpful if you know how to use it. You can get some things over the counter that are similar to a dermabond or a skin adhesive. They're not quite the same. I've honestly never used them because um, I haven't had to. I've, I've been able to just do dermabond if I need it. Uh, if you're going somewhere really in the wilderness, very austere, you won't have any access, it might be worth talking to a healthcare provider about taking some with you um, and being shown how to use it. It's not rocket science. It's, it's like super glue, but there's some places you don't want to put it. Um, you know, you don't, you don't want to get it in your eye. Sounds, sounds simple, but a lot of people will often get a laceration above the brow and they'll think, Oh, I'll use a little dermabond. And then it gets into the brow and the hair and then it drips in the eye and the eye gets sealed shut. It's total. I mean, it makes, makes more of a problem than you had to start with. So typically we don't like people carrying dermabond if they're not accustomed to using it. But again, in the right setting, it might be worthwhile. If you don't have those things, um, you know, pressure with a bandage is great. Another trick is, uh, if, 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 uh, the lacerations on the head and you have more hair than I do, you can actually take some hair from each side of the, of the wound and basically tie it together, pull it tight and pull the ends of the wound together until you get where you're going. So there's little ways to be creative. Um, but yeah, you work within your means on that one. Are the, like the, the butterfly band-aids and the stereo strips really worth fiddling with? The butterfly ones can be good. Steri strips are are okay. The problem with those, they're meant to be left on for a long period of time. And typically, if it's a laceration that needs a proper closure with stitches or something, then you're going to have to take that off when you get somewhere. And that can actually pull on the wound a bit. Um, that's not the biggest deal, but I'd probably go with something that's more, more like a, a butterfly that's meant for that. Uh, but quite honestly, most things, if, if you just hold pressure over it and like, this would be a great place for that Coban, you know, you, you take some gauze to put over top of it and you use the Coban to go around the limb or whatever is, is lacerated, um, and just put a little bit of pressure. And as you come across it, it kind of pull the wound edges together. And that's, that's going to be sufficient for your, you know, 30 minute or three hour drive back to the hospital to get it sewn up. Yeah. And interesting because you had a lot of tidbits there and like like notes that you've learned. There's a lot of great courses that you can take or like learnings like you, the American Red Cross does like a first aid, like there's first aid CPR. Even if it's not required for your job, I think those are all great things to go and potentially do maybe just once every five years or yeah. just once if you've never done one to know do I put pressure on this? Oh, this is a head wound. I'm not going to do pressure on this. Like, how do I make a quick sling? How do I make a quick splint? Like these sorts of things, they're, they're skills that are really valuable. And I think that's something that's not in any of these kits, but would kind of be the, the foundation of any good kit. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think it's really good to have gone through some of that. And there's some, uh, some courses like wilderness first aid courses that are yeah the outdoor really the Knowles fun. outdoor leadership school does a really good job it's a really fun and engaging like two days and, and pretty in depth yeah yeah i did a few of those years back i mean before i was an er doctor um and just had a blast with it and you learn a ton because you you learn you learn the first aid but then you learn how to improvise and kind of understand what it is you're trying to do with the standard first aid and how to do that without some of the tools you might normally have. 
Yeah. So we'll definitely, we'll have links to, or like lists like these in the show notes, but the, the Knowles, the, the one that I was mentioning was the national outdoor leadership school. I believe mm-hmm. they're yeah. a really cool program that travels around and you can usually find in your area. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's wilderness medical society, um, which, uh, hosts numerous, uh, classes across the country. And I think they're even, well, 20 years ago, they were kind of really, they kind of worked together. Um, and 20 years ago, I wrote some of their, uh, protocols for some, maybe knee injuries. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's not current anymore. It won't be there. Yeah. So on that note, we'll get to like domestic and international travel here in a bit, but since we're talking about kind of the outdoors, is there anything that you would change? Say you've got your, your car kit that's in there, but we're going on a camping trip or we're going maybe like bike packing and out for a little bit. Are there things that you're going to add into that kit? Um, there's some things that I'm going to add. There's probably some things I'm going to take away too, because, uh, not that they're unnecessary, but you have to kind of weigh out the likely utility versus carrying them for that time. So, you know, if, if you're going bike packing or backpacking or anything where you're, you're carrying weight, it's got to be really well thought out, right? It's, it's fine in the first mile. But on the third day and the you know, 45th mile, uh, even something as simple as an extra roll of tape um, can start to compound and be bothersome and even problematic. So the things that I would add would be uh, like a tourniquet, which you might not actually need a tourniquet, right? Like just make sure that you have something that could function that way. So that could be a webbing belt. That could be a part of your backpack, you know, a strap, maybe one of the load straps. Uh, There's all kinds of things you could use, but just make sure you know what you would use as a tourniquet. Um, And then uh, there's something called quick clot, which is a, uh, there's actually numerous things that do this. Quick clot is one of the brands. It's, it's a gauze that is soaked in, well, soaked in probably the right word, embedded with a, a substance that causes the blood to to clot. So this is for an open wound that is bleeding really heavily. If this happens away from a camping scenario. So the reason I don't have this in my car is because, uh, it doesn't do anything for you that just holding pressure wouldn't do. Right. So if you're on just a mountain bike trip, a daily mountain bike trip and you're out and you get a bad wound and you go back to the car, right. Then you can just, hold pressure until you get to the hospital, urgent care, whatever. Um, if you're two days in, you may not be able to just hold pressure for that period of time. And so having something like a quick clot to put on top of it and then wrap up can be well worth the wait. And it doesn't weigh much. It's like a piece of gauze. Uh, they are, I think fairly expensive. Um, I mean, I'm not, not hundreds of dollars, but they're not, you know, it's not like buying a piece of gauze. Like it, it's going to run you a little bit. Uh, so that's what I add in things that I take out. Um, I would take out the, the syringe I talked about, um, and just plan to improvise, right? A syringe is really lightweight, but it takes up space. Um, so anything that you don't need, you want gone, uh, the trauma shears I might take out if I've got a knife or a multi-tool or something that can serve that purpose, uh, which probably would have, but would want to make sure, um, I'm going to limit the number of gloves I take. I'm going to limit, uh, like a ACE wrap or Coban to, you know, probably half of what I would have in the car. 
So again, recognizing that uh, what I might end up doing is um, if, if in the car I would use three feet of Coban, I might use a foot and a half and then use something else like an ace wrap on top of it or a t-shirt or pant leg or, you know, it's, it's just making sure you plug those holes. So I'm going to have a little less OmniFix, a little less of the clean gauze. It's just going to be a lot smaller. Um, same medications though. Uh, the one thing I would add from a medication standpoint is chewable Pepto-Bismols. And the reason I say that is it's one of those things there, there's a antibiotic component of Pepto-Bismol that if you have gotten some bad food or something like that can really help neutralize an infection before it sets in, uh, internationally, depending on where you are, it can be a good idea to even just take one prophylactically every day. Uh, there's good data to show that that helps, uh, massively decrease the incidence of, um, GI illnesses, you know, Montezuma's revenge in Mexico, things like that. And so having that in a, a bike packing or a backpacking kit can be really worthwhile too, because you can't always control hygiene around your food the way you would elsewhere. Yeah. Something I like to keep with me is this stuff called Technu as well for poison ivy. I don't know if you've mm. had any experience with it. They sell wipes and I'll yeah. keep those in my car if I'm going camping or, or mountain biking, especially here, just cause there's, there's so much poison ivy around. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, having something to get that oil off of you, especially when you're not able to shower, like if you're out for days at a time um, or just immediately when you get off the trail, that's a really good thing to have. Which I guess could also just be the, like I'll bring like Dr. Bonner's soap for everything yeah. since you can use it and it would kind of serve the same purpose, I guess. Yeah, true. Yeah. Dr. Bonner's is great. I mean, you can brush your teeth with it. You can wash your, wash your pots and pans with it. It's yes. excellent. So on the, the, the camping and, and bikepacking, if, if I'm just going out for say like a big day, like I'm going out for like a, like next weekend, I'm going to Pisgah. Is there anything that you think was worth to bear the weight as far as like tossing into the pack for that, you know, like four or five hour mountain bike tour? Yeah, I think probably so. Um, what I'll usually do is, uh, I mean, you can get like a, like a frame pack or a small frame pack or, or handlebar kit, uh, a bag to carry stuff. I'll usually keep it even smaller. Um, maybe even put it in like a, uh, you know, Rafa makes those, I can't remember what they call them now, but it's like a little wallet, a zippable wallet. It's waterproof. The just, essentials case. Yes. Yes. And so along with a phone, you can easily throw in a few uh, gauze bandages, like the four by four gauze. You could throw in a couple pieces of the OmniFix. You could throw in a piece of the burn netting, basically preparing for a wound um, uh, throw in a little bit of neosporin. What's nice. So, so neosporin, typically you get it in a tube at the, at the pharmacy. Um, and that's what I have in my kit, but you can also get individual packets of it. And that is what I'll put like in this setting, I'll throw in two or three packets of that. They're tiny. It's like the size of a salt packet you get at the, at the restaurant. Um, so you can definitely throw together enough to get you back to the car. Um, plan on using your water bottle to clean stuff out. Um, and then maybe something that would be compressive. So whether that's an ACE wrap or a big piece of Coban or whatever. Um, and with that, you're kind of covered for anything big that comes up. You could talk about splints and things like that for fractures. I think one, they're going to be really big, right? And two, if you have 
a long bone fracture in the backwoods. So, you know, whether that's ankle, leg, wrist, arm, whatever, uh, being able to splint it will be more comfortable. And there may be a role if it's really bad for, you know, hemodynamics, like keeping, keeping blood flow going, uh, but it's not going to get you out. Right. And so I think it, it would be a hard sell to figure out a, a reason or a rationale to carry that deep in the woods. Yeah. One thing I, I was kind of interested on, especially since I'm in a lot of faster sports where you wear a helmet is there's been a lot of companies that talk about using ketones for like a traumatic brain injury or like getting a concussion in kind of that acute setting. Yeah. So is that something that you've seen the research suggest that this might be worth keeping in the bag if it's available? Yes. That's a really good point. Um, so in my med kit that I take to races, uh, to, to events that I cover with athletes, I absolutely carry that. Um, it is expensive. Uh, it's a multi-day protocol. So once you start, um, it's going to cost you a good bit of money to get through it. Um, each dose is, I don't know, call it 30 bucks, 25, 30 bucks. And you're going to be doing two a day for multiple days. So, um, it's not insignificant, uh, and they go bad. There's an expiration date. So just, just to have 60 bucks worth of ketones sitting in a med kit, um, to maybe go bad year after year is a consideration as well, but possibly a payoff that's well worth it. So most of the research in this area has been done through, um, through for military purposes, right? Like for, for traumatic brain injury that could be experienced in, uh, in the battlefield. Um, and it does look promising. Uh, there's the rationale, uh, the short version is that when brain cells are injured, their, um, their, uh, metabolism switches from being very efficient at using glucose to being kind of inefficient and also needing more fuel. So if you can give them another fuel source that they like and brain cells run very well on, on ketones, um, then you can keep them operating and doing what they're supposed to, as opposed to getting further injured due to lack of fueling. Uh, again, hypothetical, but that that's kind of the, what would seem to make sense. So for me, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to keep, um, you know, maybe at least in your car kit, maybe not on the bike, uh, again, just because size and weight penalty, um, but be able to get back to the car, start, uh, with a, with a shot of ketone. There's no downside to it. It's well-established. These things are healthy. Um, healthy is not the right word that they're not dangerous. Um, uh, and so I, I think if, yeah, if you've, if you've got the 60 bucks a day to burn for a few days and you want to, uh, want to maybe reap that benefit, it's a good thing to have around. Yeah. It's definitely something that I want to keep in my kind of travel kit for when we're going to whether it's North Carolina or out to like a, a, a scarier trail that yeah. I, I might be going down on. Yeah. And to be clear the the, the data is still coming in on this, but everything I've seen is really promising. Um, that doesn't mean that in 10 years we'll look back and say something different that we won't say something different, but right now it's shaping up to be a very reasonable thing to consider. Yeah. So before we get on to kind of like a travel kit, is there anything else that we had in that outdoor column to, to consider? Um, no, I think, I mean, I've got a lot of the same things that were on the base camp or the car 
the car kit. So it's just to go through it real quick, something that would be trauma shears or scissors or multi-tool or whatever. Um, a skin adhesive, if you're able to take one with you, like Dermabond. Uh, the gloves, some Coban, OmniFix, that cling gauze, uh, burn netting again, Telfa, uh, the nonstick gauze. Um, I didn't say for the last one, but it, in all of my kits, I also carry just absorbent gauze, like a not sterile, um, just something to kind of uh, hold over a bleeding wound, right? Or to clean out a wound with. Uh, just the, the cheapest gauze you can get, right? Little stack of gauze, uh, moleskin, band-aids, and then those medications. Uh, so in the back country, I'd still want to have probably a little bit of a, like something for the stomach, a chewable antacid, uh, the antihistamines, Imodium, something for pain, like ibuprofen or Tylenol, uh, some Neosporin, some eye drops. And we talked about the Pepto and the quick clot. So again, it's going to be a smaller kit than what's in the car, just because for each of these things, it's going to be much less. So even with the ibuprofen and Tylenol in the car, I may have a little vial that's got you know, 20 Tylenol in it. It's not going to take up much space. It doesn't matter. It's in the car. Um, if I'm in the back country, I may have four Tylenol, enough to kind of deal with a, an injury or a headache or just get me back out. Yeah. And all considerations as to how long your trip is, how many people are in your group, what other people have. So it's, it's always good to communicate about these things with the people that you're going out with to make sure you're also not carrying duplicates and duplicates and duplicates, but yeah. taking care of yourself and kind of knowing that you've at least got something. At least that's what I typically do. Cause I don't, I don't trust any of my friends to bring, bring any first aid supplies. So well, I, none of my friends bring anything because I'm going right. So it's a good point. I, I typically have to bring a little extra for that reason. Yeah, everybody knows you're a doctor. Yeah. So moving on to kind of, I think what is probably the biggest question that we get from patients is I'm traveling to wherever I'm going to Egypt for a, a week long trip. Is there anything extra that I should bring with me in my kit? Yeah. So I would, I would put together something that mimics the two we've talked about already, depending on the length of the trip, the, the space you have available, but have all those things in it, right? A, a first aid kit that's going to keep you from having to go to a clinic or find a pharmacy or, you know, struggle through the translation of whatever, um, you know, just having some basics there are going to be really key, including those medications. So things that, uh, that I've used on international trips myself and been thrilled that I had it are the simple things like a Claritin, you know, you get somewhere and there's just different allergens in the air. Um, and I'm not someone who has a whole lot of allergies, but I mean, I can think of, uh, well, I can think of a time I didn't have it. We were spending some time in Girona in Spain a few years ago and, uh, Ryanair, which is a discount air carrier had a cheap flight from Girona to uh, Marrakesh in Morocco. And my wife and I were like, Oh, that'd be fun. Let's go to Africa for the weekend. It's a three hour flight, maybe less. Um, and so we found a place to stay, hopped on the flight, found somebody to watch the kids. Uh, I think, I think her parents were in town. We weren't, didn't just find some random person in another country, but the kids were taken care of, um, hopped on a plane. We get there. And the next day we're walking through the markets, which are, um, 
you know, kind of what Marrakesh is known for. And it's all dusty. And at one point I had two monkeys jump on me, like just kind of this crazy experience. And I got to where I couldn't breathe. I mean, it wasn't dangerous, but like my nose was so plugged, face felt swollen. I was miserable and I hadn't brought anything with me. I went into a pharmacy trying to explain to them and, you know, I didn't speak whatever is it. I, I can't remember if they speak Arabic there, or what it is. Um, that's sounds really uh, uh, ignorant of me, but I apologize. I just can't remember what it was, but I went to the pharmacy. I couldn't speak to them. They couldn't speak to me. I'm trying to like say that I've got a runny nose. They hand me a, a box of something written in a language that is not Germanic or Latin. Like I couldn't, you know, a lot of these countries I can kind of make out the drug names. Nope. It wasn't even our letters. Right. And I just had to cross my fingers and be like, I hope they got it and took it because I was that miserable. So that's what you're trying to avoid. If I had just thrown in my normal med kit and had a little bit of Zyrtec or Claritin would have been good to go. Um, so, you know, definitely make sure you take those things. Any prescriptions you take kind of goes without saying, um, but that's hugely important. You should talk to your doctor about the, uh, the, the disease risks in that area. So things like malaria that you would need treatment for prophylactic treatment for before you leave. And during the trip, uh, that needs to be accounted for. And it's pretty easy to sort out if you know, to ask the questions. So think about where you're going, what you might need. But the thing that I do send patients with, um, when they're going to say, you know, Africa or, or South America or somewhere where they're kind of getting away from civilization, maybe being, you know, on a safari or going on a, a trip in the jungle or something like that, where it's not even an option to go run down to the pharmacy is I'll send them with a hand, a handful. I'll send them with a few uh, prescription medications that will just cover a wide variety of common scenarios. So, uh, Zofran or an anti-nausea medication is great to have along something that will just, you know, should you get either a foodborne illness or a virus, uh, will help knock out the nausea so you can stay hydrated and kind of let the, let the illness run its course. Most of most illnesses like that are what we call, uh, or they require what we call supportive care, which is just making sure you stay hydrated and, and kind of let the thing run its course. There's no medication to like knock it out. Right. So in that regard, an anti-nausea medication can be huge. So I'd highly recommend talking to your doctor about getting that. Um, uh, and then usually a few different antibiotics. And the reason I say a few is because it depends on what, what infection you're dealing with as to what you might use. So um, something like a cephalexin or keflac, keflex, uh, Bactrim, azithromycin, which is what makes up a Z-pack, uh, doxycycline, flagyl. Uh, depending on the patient, their allergies, where they're going, I'll probably give them two or three of these to cover anything from a respiratory infection to a skin infection to uh, a GI infection. Um, you know, the common things that come up, you want to be able to tell them, hey, take this and you don't have to go find it somewhere. So I think it's really important to have thought ahead of time about those things. And I typically tell patients like before you use any of these, 
I want you to call me. We're going to talk through it. What's going on? Which one's appropriate? Uh, if they're going somewhere where that's totally not an option, there's no communication, then I'll give them some instructions of, you know, if, if this occurs, this is what you would take. Uh, but that's, that's the main thing I would add to that international travel kit. Yeah. And that's a, a really unique situation that we find a lot of our patients are getting themselves into going on these, these travels, but even for, you know, people that are going and racing, like somebody goes down to La Ruta and you're going in water that is very questionable because it's just runoff that you're racing through all day, things can come up and it can ruin the next three or four days. If you just don't have a simple anti-nausea or like a, just a stomach medication, like just like a, yeah. some Pepno to yeah. just knock it out. If you're just, you're just trying to muscle through it. Yeah. And, and something like Laruda, that's a perfect example where I'd recommend just doing a Pepto every day. Um, and, and really good evidence that you might stave off some of those infections. But I think a lot of people end up in these scenarios, maybe not frequently. Uh, you know, it, it's great if you're able to every year go, you know, to the, the Himalaya one year and then go on a safari the next year. But more importantly, most people will find themselves somewhere rather austere in you know every five or 10 years. And a lot of times I think it's just not considered. You think about, okay, is my passport up to date? Do I have the right clothes for this? You know, is, is my, is my, do I have a bike uh, travel case? Like all those things. And then it comes time to leave and you've not taken care of any of this. So you're really just hoping that nothing happens. And that if it does that you can find a pharmacy or a clinic or something and then be able to communicate. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bigger leap than you might think. Even if you're going somewhere that's, you know, very much a developed country, I take this stuff to Spain and France and the Netherlands. Um, and I know how to navigate those systems really well. Like I've spent years finding pharmacies and, and, you know, learning some medical terminology in all kinds of languages so I can, navigate hospitals and pharmacies in other countries. And I'd still rather not do it. I, I would much rather uh, at 11 o'clock at night when whatever happens, just be able to go to my kit and take care of it. Uh, so I, I'd highly recommend it really for any travel. We said international travel. Gosh, I mean, even if I was in, I don't know, anywhere in the U S it's much preferable if you're not feeling well to have the things to take care of it as opposed to have to, get out and go hunt stuff down. Yeah, no, it's always nice to have a few of those essential things. And that, you know, as we've mentioned a few times, if you have your own medications, if there's things that you need to have extra of for you, if you're allergic to something and you need to have your EpiPen, always considering those things that are unique to you and being prepared in that sense, maybe even a step further than you usually would be. Yeah. And you should ask your doctor for help with this stuff. I mean, this is the kind of thing where, uh, you know, if, if you need an extra EpiPen for this kit, like get the prescription for it. If, uh, you know, if, if you're going somewhere where you want to take some contingency meds, uh, antibiotics, nausea meds, whatever, um, if that's a totally reasonable request. And if it's not something your doctor does or is comfortable with or whatever, there are places called travel clinics, uh, that are all over the country that you can go in basically talk to a doctor who's trained or has, has some special interest in travel medicine and say, I'm going to this city in this country. What do I need to know? And they can walk you through what vaccines are needed to be up to date. Uh, you know, do you need prophylaxis for something like malaria? 
um, you know, just kind of all the things to look for, and then also provide you with those prophylactic uh, prescriptions and any contingency meds that you might need. So there are resources for this. There's a whole subset of medicine that's set up for it. Uh, so definitely seek out help with this when uh, when going on these types of trips because it's much better to be prepared and not need it than the other way around when you get to these places. Yeah. And, and just kind of like a, an, an interesting note on traveling to these places and like typical gut issues or like stomach problems that come up. That's not to say that traveling to this country and eating the food is like they have bad food or, Oh, I oh, went yeah. here and I ate this and I got like a bad meal. Their microbiome, something is much differently adapted to handle that food. Like I had some friends that went to Vietnam and it was just a miserable three weeks from a dietary standpoint, delicious food, but like lots of, of unfortunate situations, but that's not because all of the food was inherently dirty or anything like that. It's just a much different setting that you're not able to react to in a, in a, in a way that's enough that your stomach's not going to tell you. Yeah, for sure. And and for that reason, you know, something like a, like a Pepsid or uh, omeprazole or something like that can be helpful just to take on a daily basis. If you tend to have a little bit of a sensitive stomach and you're going somewhere. Uh, the other thing is just to be aware of things that could be high risk from a food standpoint. Um, I mean, one of the best parts of traveling is the cuisine and trying different things and, and new flavors and tastes. Um, we were in Thailand years ago and we, we were at a market uh, where finished up lunch with uh, sticky rice and mango. And it was so good. I mean, it was white rice with, I think some coconut milk and some a fresh mango cut on top of it. And I absolutely loved it. It's amazing. So much so that the next day, the guy who had been our guide kind of taking us around um, showed up at our hotel and had a big bowl of sticky rice and mango for me. And I put it in the fridge in the hotel and we went about our day and whatever and came back that night. And I was like, oh, yeah, he brought me that. I'm going to have it tonight for dessert. And I've never been more sick. I mean, it tanked. We were there for two weeks and it tanked the second week of my trip. And But it was totally my fault. In the U.S., I also wouldn't eat a bowl of rice that had been just – that's one of those things. If Once it's cooked, you eat it or you throw it away, right? You don't, you don't put it in the fridge. I know some people do, but – Rice is notorious for getting people sick if you if you let it sit. There's a, a specific bacteria in it, uh, Bacillus cereus, that will get you just sick as a dog. And so it had nothing to do with the fact that we were in Thailand. It had everything to do with the fact that I made a stupid decision in the moment. And so think about it that way. I mean, people get sick and get sour stomachs in the U.S. too, Nothing to do with cleanliness. It, it can be roll of the dice. It can be bad decisions. So just employ that same reasoning abroad, and chances are you're going to do pretty well. Yeah, I think I think your wife told me that that was the only time she was genuinely worried about you and like scared in Thailand when you were that sick. Yeah, we we were. I was basically laid up in bed in the hospital in the hospital in the hotel for a few days. Well, for like five or six days, but by the third day, I think, and I actually had these medications with me. So I'm taking like some antibiotics and some nausea meds and stuff. And uh, she, she went to the hotel front desk and was like, I think we need a doctor. And so they, they called a doctor who came in, like she examined me and went through the whole thing and uh, wrote a prescription for the same medications I already had. And I was like, well, you know, thank you, but you know, I'm taking these. She's like, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. We start talking 
and uh, turns out she trained in the U.S. as a psychiatrist. So we we had to pay a fairly large bill for a a, a psychiatrist to come and evaluate me, me while I was sick and uh, and give me the medications I was already taking. So it was not not the best scenario in the end, uh, but again, my fault, and uh, I lived through it. Excellent. I think that's a I think that's a great note to end on for today. Yeah. So we will put. Um, I've got a, a a sheet where I've kind of written down the things that are in each of these kits and we'll put them up in the show notes so you can reference them. You don't have to remember all this stuff, uh, but hopefully it'll be a good resource for folks who are listening. Yeah. I appreciate you all listening. Thanks for listening to the podium to hear more. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram where I am at Dr. Kevin Sprouse. That's Dr. Kevin Sprouse. The podcast posts at the underscore podium underscore podcast. You can also find and follow me on Strava. The content of this podcast is meant for general informational and educational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. All listeners should speak with their doctor or medical practitioner before implementing any change in their healthcare regimen. If you're currently a patient at Podium, then you have an established doctor-patient relationship with me, and I'm happy to discuss this with you. If you're not currently a patient at Podium, nothing in this recording establishes a doctor-patient relationship between us, nor does it constitute the practice of medicine nor the dissemination of medical advice. Should you implement any information contained herein without consulting your own physician, you do so at your own risk. The Podium Podcast is part of the Palm Tree Podco Network of Podcasts. The show is produced and edited by Anthony Palmer. The content for this show is provided by the team at The Podium.